Welcome to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey, where we explore the rise of feminine energy in life, leadership and business. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in business and corporate and you're struggling to find meaning in what you do and how you engage your team. So join us as we talk all things leadership, strategy and culture and how we value both the feminine and the masculine in men, women and society at large to make a difference in our workplaces. In today's podcast, we're going to talk through the five C's of feminine energy in leadership and how to bring them into your working life and your leadership style. In previous podcasts, we've talked about what masculine and feminine energy is and how it's not about gender. It's about an energy style that we can choose to bring to our work. And we've also talked about how we're in a bit of a leadership crisis at the moment at work. We've got so many people disengaged, maybe around 50% of employees disengaged at work right now. And when we look at some of the other statistics, trust in CEOs is at an all-time low. And so we've definitely got some crisis going on in leadership and we need to change the way that we lead and change the way that we deal with people so that we can make a different impact in the world and hopefully get more out of our people and they enjoy work more too. So I want to talk you through the five C's of feminine energy as I see them in terms of a really easy way to bring feminine energy into your workplace. So the five C's are change, collaboration, creativity, care and the collective. And we're going to be talking through those one at a time and how you can bring them into your leadership style. Let's first talk about change. The ability of the feminine to handle change is really high because the feminine is okay with uncertainty. So when we think about work and we think about business, a lot of the time we are driving certainty, either for ourselves or for the organisation. And that certainty can take many, many forms. Sometimes it's all about how do we make sure we feel certain because we know stuff Or how do we make sure we feel certain so we control things? Micromanagement is a classic example of this. And a lot of the the dysfunctional masculine energy that comes into play in business is because we are clinging on to this certainty. So we're clinging on to knowledge. We're clinging on to control, clinging on to um, just making sure that things just get done to get the result rather than are we arriving together gracefully? Are we creating a culture together? And the feminine is brilliant at handling change. It's okay with formlessness. It's okay with intuition. It's okay with sitting in uncertainty and just sitting there and being and not having to lock things down, not having to nail down that certainty. So the ability to sit with change and sit with this uncertainty, sit in formlessness is one of the characteristics of the feminine. And it really helps with problem exploration. It really helps with not having all the answers and being okay with other people having answers. And it's great for idea generation as well. So the first critical C in feminine energy is this ability to handle change. So how do we practice that? Well, personally, I tell people, why don't you have a go at holding two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time and being okay with it? And as much as this sounds a little bit weird, what it's doing is it's giving you practice in holding different ideas, being okay with not knowing the answer and just the ability to sort of let them percolate, 
move around, just sort of like blur together in your head. And that practice, that ability to just handle ideas in that way without having to be right is a brilliant way of handling change and handling uncertainty. As a leader, always say when you don't know. So this is another way of handling change as a leader. If you don't know the answer, that's okay. We don't need to go and get our certainty from having answers. We can get our certainty from asking great questions, from being really curious and from loving exploring what everyone else brings to the table. And so this ability as a leader to not have all the answers and be okay with it is another great way of practicing just being in an uncertain state and being okay with change. If your organization is going through change, have a look at what is being proposed in the change management processes. A lot of the time we have neglected people over process now. So we've got some, there's some amazing change management work that's done out there and if the practitioner or if the person is more interested in ticking the box for the process, i.e. we've gone through change readiness assessments, we've gone through training needs, we've gone through organisational um, like design, we've done all of the tick box change exercises, but we haven't sat down and thought, how are we going to handle people? We're just assuming that if we go through a process, then the people will follow linearly. Have a think about how that impacts your organization in terms of change, too, because a lot of the time, while the processes are great and they move a project forward or they move an organization transformation forward, they don't always help the people move forward because a lot of work needs to be done there about understanding how we respond to change, understanding what's going on in our heads and how behaviors play out. And this is more than just the change curve, which is what's normally taught. So as a leader in an organization, if your organization is going through change, have a think about how you can bring some of this more feminine energy quality into it and this ability to be able to sit down with people and explore things together rather than nail down a process for change actually makes a huge difference. And a lot of the time, the ability to handle change plays into one of our other feminine energy C's, which is care which is, well, I can just have great conversations with my people and I'm willing to take the time to do so. And often in times of change, that makes all the difference. It's the showing the care to our people and showing that we're willing to take the time that actually moves the change agenda forward more so than have we got the right process to make this happen. Now let's talk about collaboration, the second C. The feminine works with others to get the best outcomes together. So it's really, really big on collaboration. And the feminine knows that building on ideas means that we honor the idea itself rather than honor the, like the creator of the idea or the person that came up with the original, um, the original thing that we're building on. And so what's happening here is that we, we are letting go of the the creation of the idea or the significance of owning that creation moment or that spark moment. We're letting go of that and we're surrendering into working with others and building with others so that this idea gets better together and then it serves the greater good of the organization rather than a badge of honor for the person that came up with it. And the feminine knows this. It knows that collaboration is key to getting great results together. 
So often in organisations, we reward the individual over the collective. And we do that by rewarding behaviour and giving praise to one person for an idea. And very, very rarely is it a new original idea all on its own. Most of the time, our ideas come from all of the things that we've taken in throughout the day, the week, the year, the things that we've seen um, in society, the things that we see on TV, the things that we've read. And so our ideas come as a building of all of that. And so we in organisations, we need to embrace this ability to collaborate, where collaboration is all about how we build on ideas together to get better results. So often I hear in organisations, well, you know, we collaborated because we went and got input from that other team. So, you know, I sat down with them and I went through our, our project and they ticked off on it and they, you know, so we collaborated. And to me, that's a very low level uh, way of collaborating. It's that process collaboration. It's I'm ticking in the box that I've talked to other people and I've got their consent to move forward. Therefore, you can't tell me off that I didn't get input. It's it's that level of collaboration. Whereas where we want to get to is more a building things together collaboration and also the where the intent of the collaboration is. So the intent of that collaboration I just described is that we get the tick so we can move forward and I don't get told off that I haven't talked to other people. Whereas the true intent of collaboration goes back to, are we building something together that's going to be better for all of us? And so we've got to move out of this transactional process view more to how do we create things together? Now, collaboration requires a great deal of trust. Because if we're the sort of person that gets certainty because we're wedded to our own ideas, then we're not going to collaborate well. And we're never going to let go of that idea, set it free, if you like, so that it can be built on by others. When with trust, we have to accept that we're letting go. And sometimes somebody may not deserve it in inverted commas. So we may put an idea out there and somebody may steal it. And that's, you know, that's not great. However, if our organisation is rewarding for ideas together rather than, oh, man, you had an awesome idea, you're an amazing person, then we're going to really embrace collaboration. And sometimes we talk about what gets measured gets managed. And I hate that phrase because a lot of what we're talking about here can't get measured. It's really difficult to sit down and say, have we got great collaboration? How do we measure that? Instead, what we can do is say what gets rewarded gets repeated. And I much prefer this phrase. So if in organisations we give reward and significance to those people that we see build ideas together, working for the greater good, genuinely interested in what others have to contribute and we reward and recognise them, then that behaviour will get repeated. And that's when we get collaboration becoming part of the lifeblood of an organisation. Let's now talk about the third C, care. So the feminine cares and connects with others. It empathises, it understands emotions, and it really gets other people and likes to put put itself in their shoes so that it can show empathy and understand where they're coming from. And I really think that if there was one of the C's to focus on, if we're only going to pick one for the betterment of our organisations and our leadership, it would be this one. It would be care. We seem to show a severe lack of care in our organisations. 
I sometimes describe it that years ago throughout the Industrial Revolution, we would send people into work and, you know, in the mines or in the mills, etc. And we'd send them into work and they might lose an arm. And we'd sort of shrug and go, oh, well, that's just the cost of having one of those jobs. Nowadays, the thought of someone going to work and losing a limb is just horrific. It just isn't allowed and it isn't thought that, that that would be a normal thing to happen. We would be shocked and horrified and we would do something about it. So times have changed in terms of physical injuries. But when we think about the mental in injuries or the mental anguish that we cause people in organisations, it's almost like now we have more mental health epidemics um, and at work, we sort of go to work and we sort of shrug and go, oh, well, that's just the cost of going to work. We have to cope with this stress. We have to handle it. Um, and we don't really pay much attention to any uh, mental health issues that we might be causing at work. And so this is where I think care really comes in as a leader. How do we show care? And I think that there are five different people groups in organizations. And it's a really good indicator in a business to think about how we show care to each of those people groups. And I imagine them like a, like a concentric low, like a dartboard. So with concentric circles going out, if you will. So on the very outside of the concentric circle is customer. So it's the first group of people that we deal with in organizations. I put them right at the outside because Generally, you would hope that organizations show care to their customers because that's how they make their money and that's how they stay in business. And so I put them right on the outside because it's really obvious if they're showing care to their customers. Now, the next level in, so come in a concentric circle, is the board owners or shareholders. So generally, organizations show a great deal of care for what their owners or their shareholders think. I'm not sure it's care directly from the heart, if you like, but I think it's definitely an interested care that we would show our owners and our shareholders, because that's where investment comes from. The next circle in is our leadership group. Now, these leadership group, they tend to get stuck right in the middle between profit over people or people over profit. So they answer to the board, the owners, the shareholders, and so they have to deliver results and they know that to get their results, they have to have great relationships with their people. And so they get this bit stuck in the middle. And a lot of the time with the leadership group is we, we sort of forget about them in the care equation. We sort of forget that uh, they may need some care, too. And we think, well, they've just got to suck it up because they're paid the big bucks and that's the job that they do. And to a degree, yes, that's true. It's not about them. Uh, they're there to make sure that they're serving their people, serving the organization. Um, but, you know, as professional human beings, we've got to look at where we show care across the spectrum. And I think the leadership group is one of those groups that doesn't get care very often. The next level in is the employees, finally. And we would think that in businesses everywhere, because people make the profits, we would be showing an immense amount of care to our employees. But I don't think we are. I think it's one of those things where organizations talk about people are their greatest assets and that um, their people are what makes them tick and keeps the organization going, etc. But I think when it comes down to it, we don't really know 
how to show care to our employees when, especially if we're in a stressful environment where markets are changing or, you know, we're running out of money, we've got to cut costs, etc. I think two of the key factors in an organisation to show, to see whether care is shown to employees are whether we have thank yous and whether we have one-to-ones. So thank yous. Lots of leaders say to me, well, should I, should I thank employees for doing their job? You know, it's their job. Why should I have to thank them? And my response to them all the time is, yes, thank them. Were you given 20 thank yous at birth and you're going to run out? Like, what, what is this rationing of thank yous? So again, I think that if we can thank our people, show appreciation, it goes an awful long way to showing care. And then one-on-ones. And we're all guilty of this. When we've got busy diaries that chop and change all the time, a lot of the time it's the one-on-ones that get rescheduled because we sit there and think, well, it's only me and another person. It's easy to reschedule it. But that just shows that our priorities are not our people. So I encourage you, if you have one-to-ones in the diary, try and keep them in the same place. Try and keep them so they're not rescheduled all the time because it shows your people that you care about them. You're willing to invest time in them and you want to sit down and talk to them individually to do that. And then the last little circle bang in the middle of all of these concentric dartboard circles is suppliers. And suppliers are interesting. So they are definitely a key people group that that are in your business and they can be internal or external. And I always equate this to going on a date. So imagine you're on a date with that special person and you're loving them and everything about them. And then they treat the wait staff like shit. That's a really key indicator to their value set and about whether they're just putting on a show for you or whether they truly value everyone around them, especially people that, in inverted commas, serve them. So where there's a transaction, as in I paid you, therefore you do everything for me, if that's the attitude, then we're really not showing care. So with suppliers, it's having to think about how do you partner together for success How do you work with them to your success and their success, be it an internal or an external supplier? And if they're external, have a think about how you treat them. So do you keep them hanging? Do you not get back to them? Is their business banking your business because the payment terms are so onerous? All of those things show whether we're in a true partnership with our suppliers or whether we are just there to get the most out of them, squeeze them for every drop because we're paying them. I put suppliers bang in the centre like that, followed by employees, then leaders, then owners or shareholders and then customers. Because if an organisation has care as a value and it's flowing through the organisation, then all of those little circles are covered and it's a very strong, big circle. If we take out suppliers and then we take out employees and maybe leaders aren't there, then we've got these rings that aren't overly stable. They're not overly solid. And so it really shows that care is only there where we are politically interested because we want to keep the board happy and we want money from our customers. So we want to keep them happy, but we forget about everybody else. And so that's why we do it outside in from customer into suppliers, because if there's care for suppliers, chances are it's touching all the other rings too. So what about creativity? 
The feminine excels at creativity. It it goes back to this formlessness, this intuition, this ability to be okay with chaos. All of these things come together and they allow seemingly random connections to be made. And it's um it's these uh, like tangent tangential, I think that's a word, these tangential moments where creativity and innovation lie. And a lot of organizations say that creativity and innovation are are really important to them. It's a core value or a skill that they want to foster in their organization. And yet then put lots and lots of structures in place that stifle thought. So every time people talk about innovation processes and innovation development and things like that. There's a part of me that that has a bit of a giggle because we need to, yes, yes, we do need processes to harness ideas and get ideas into something that becomes um, an actual thing or something permanent. Absolutely. But that first bit, that that ability in a in an organization to foster creativity and foster innovation, if there's anything that's stifling, then it's not going to be there. And one of the critical things in organizations that stops creativity is fear. So if our organization is driven by fear, then it's going to be very, very hard to have creativity come pouring out. So fear-driven organizations is where people worry about doing the wrong thing. So they worry that if they make a mistake, they're going to get punished for it. And in that situation, we can really see why it wouldn't help creativity at all if we haven't fostered trust in our organization so every time that there's fear in an organization people's brains go straight to well how do i survive this rather than how do i thrive here and when we're in survival mode creativity is the last thing on our mind so the first thing we can do if we want to drive creativity in our organizations is think well is the organization fear driven or I'll say love driven. I know it's odd to think about organizations with love, but fear or love, they tend to be the two opposite ends of the spectrum. And love generates trust. So if we have a fear driven organization, we're not going to have stacks of creativity. If we have a love driven organization, um, it's going to be quite different. So if we feel fearful, we worry about making a mistake or we feel that we're out of control or our job security is low we don't feel trusted, then that isn't the breeding ground for great ideas. Interestingly, creativity comes about if all the other C's that we've been talking about are present. Because if we think about us as an organization, if we can handle change positively, if we can show care to our people, if collaboration is really the way that we work and we work on building ideas together, then creativity will blossom in this space have a think about how you generate creativity yourself like how do you give yourself space to be creative do you pursue any creative endeavors even though those that you might be bad at in inverted commas because again it's one of those things where we can we can go out and try a new thing try something creative and it might just form something in our brains or have one of those connection moments or just Trying something new makes other things fall into place. So, you know, go and have a go at a painting class or do something musical, lie down in the grass, contemplate the meaning of life. Something that gives you space for your mind to just wander and create the connections that it needs to. 
And as a leader, have a think about how you've set up your environment. So do your teams feel safe? And if that is true, if that's a given for you that your teams do feel safe, have you built in space for creativity? Are there times where your team aren't busy doing the do of their normal job and they have time to sit back and lie in the proverbial grass and let their mind wander at work about the connections that can be uh, can be made? Because if our teams can take time out of the normal day to day busy work, then it allows their brains to meander and think differently. And this is valuable time, especially if there's opportunities for them to do it together, because that goes back to that collaboration moment. And we never know what might come out of that. We never know what ideas might form and how they're built on together with others. And finally, let's talk about the last C, the collective. So the feminine is focused on the collective rather than the individual, which means it's working for the greater good of the group rather than the greater good of the one person. And unfortunately, in organisations right now, we are much, much more geared up to celebrating the individual. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing. We do all need to feel worthy and significant. But if all we get through this is self-serving behaviours that drive our personal status, our personal power, then we destroy any chance of a culture that works together to achieve overarching goals. So if we think about business at the minute and we think about where significance is given, it's always given to a person rather than a team or a group. It's like we feel that we have to label it or get almost like um, get certainty over it and say, right, it was that person that made the difference rather than that group that made the difference. And so as businesses, we've got to get really good. We've talked earlier about what gets rewarded gets repeated. So if we're if we get better at giving significance to collective outcomes and collective people, groups of people rather than the individual, then we are really celebrating how we build things together and deliver for the greater good. The feminine recognises that the collective is bigger than any one individual. And so it, it here it does interplay quite strongly with the functional masculine of having a strong aligned purpose. So if we have a strong aligned purpose and we're here for the greater good, here for the collective, this is where feminine and masculine energy, both functional, interplay beautifully together to get that. And that creates an amazing culture. And so... We've got to think about how we do that as businesses and how we create that collective feeling. To practice this, as an individual, notice when your thoughts and actions are self-serving or other-serving. I'll give you a little hint. If we are coming from a place of fear, they're nearly always self-serving. So if we are worried about something, if we're fearful about something, if we have lost our trust, all of those things generally drive self-serving thoughts and self-serving behaviors. So one of the things we can do to get ourselves out of this, out of the individual thinking and more into the collective thinking is work out how we serve others. So there are two questions that I ask myself when I'm stuck in that fearful moment, because we're not going to eliminate fear from our lives. There's a lot that goes on in our lives that's stressful, worrying, concerning, and we're going to have those fear moments our challenge as I say professional human beings is or our challenge definitely as a leader is to sit back in that moment, take a breath and think about how you can switch your brain into a more functional pattern of thinking into something that's going to help. 
And there are two brilliant questions you can ask in this moment that help shift us into others thinking, if you like. So thinking of the collective. The first thing is, how do I serve others right now? So I'm in my fear moment. Things are rushing around my head. The voices are there telling me all kinds of things about everything that's going to go wrong. And in that moment, if I can take a breath and think, how do I serve others right now? What do I need to go and do and serve right now? It just switches our thinking into a more functional pattern, into something that's going to help. And another question we can ask, which is a bit weirder, but it really does interrupt the thought pattern and really help shift us is what would love do right now? And it's a weird one. If we're sat in an organization, we're in a meeting and a project's going off piste, we've lost timings, we're over budget, there's blame shooting around. Um, nobody wants to take responsibility or accountability. The boss has got mad. All of those things playing out, which make a stressful environment. And we can feel our own stress rising to sit back in a moment and take a breath and think, what would love do right now? And I promise you that moment completely switches our thinking and completely helps us self-manage so that we can go into that situation and get a much, much better outcome. So have a go with those two. How do I serve and what would love do? And as a leader, make sure that your organizational goals are aligned and focus on what you achieve together. So it's about how does the organization or how does your team come together to achieve a goal rather than how does um, one person achieve that goal? So sometimes in organizations, we hear this uh, this phrase, oh, it's a great organization. There's such a can-do attitude. I'm like, okay, that's great. I love that people want to sort things out and get things going and, you know, fix things. But a can-do attitude is very individualistic. So what happens is in an organization with a can-do attitude is people go, all right, yep, I'll go and fix that without thinking through the consequences of how that in, how they may interact with other teams on this, how collaboration may, may be needed, how the um, collective may need to come together for this. It's a great energy. It just needs to be channeled differently. And the can-do attitude, what normally happens in organizations with this with this culture is that the person that then goes and fixes the problem is the person that then is like labeled the hero or the heroine. They're the ones that get the cape <laughs> and the organization is like, oh, fantastic. You know, we wouldn't have been able to do it without that person. They went in and they fixed the thing. And so we celebrate them and they get significance from that and we go back to well what gets rewarded gets repeated in a can-do attitude culture a lot of the time it means the sustainable processes and systems aren't in place and so people are jumping around fixing things all over the place with their can-do attitude and so they're never taking a step back and thinking what would be the sustainable practice that would stop this from happening that would actually serve the greater good and that's when we get really thinking about the collective. So a lot of the time, the can-do attitude, it's it's unconsciously rewarded in organizations, which means we create heroes out of people that fix stuff 
in the short term rather than fix stuff in the long term. And the people in the background doing the sustainable work, sometimes the boring work, to make sure that these practices are in place to serve the organization, serve the greater good, go unnoticed. And it's those people that we need to be rewarding in our organizations because they are working towards the collective. So have a think as a leader. Where does your reward system go? And reward doesn't necessarily mean money. It can mean attention and thank yous and acknowledgement, etc. So have a think as a leader where your reward systems are. And the last thing I think as a collective is we've talked about, well, how do you do it for yourself? We've talked about how we do it for the team. But also, how do we do it for society and the world? You know, we're in business to make a difference, not just to make money. Most people who go out to start a business are doing it because they can see a better way of working or a better way of doing their thing. So how are we then contributing to the greater good of society? And what does your business do for that? The collective is here on many levels. It's your team, your organization, and then also the greater good of society. So have a think about how your business also contributes to that. So there we have the five C's of feminine energy in leadership, how we embrace change and be OK with uncertainty, how we collaborate and build on ideas together. And then as leaders, how we reward that behavior, how we show care to our people all different groups of them, supplier, employee, leaders, board, shareholders, and then customers too. How do we have a trusting environment so that we can have lots of creativity and innovation? And how do we serve the collective rather than the individual? So how do we make sure that our team, our organization um, are working towards the greater good with a, a amazing aligned goal and maybe even how we make a difference to society? So I want to leave you with one last statistic. A recent CEO survey on global talent, this came from PwC, showed that CEOs rated the following skills as important and difficult to find. And when they're looking forward and thinking about the future of work, these are the skills that they think we need in our upcoming environments at work. So leadership, problem solving, adaptability, creativity and innovation. And when you look across those skill sets, they show a need for feminine and masculine energy styles. And if we forget or devalue or don't use any of these feminine traits, then we are never going to be able to serve the future work cultures that will help us get results in business. Have a think about how you can bring in the five C's to your leadership style. And if you just want to go away with one takeout, show care. If as organizations, as leaders, we just brought so much more care into our organizations, we would have a very different feel in business. So I encourage you to pick that one up at a minimum. And if you can do the others too, then that's fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review as this helps us spread the message and keep the conversations going. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, go check out her website on AchieveLeadSucceed.com, where you can sign up to receive her ebook on the five C's of feminine energy and a video of Rebecca talking about leadership and feminine energy. And we've also got a Facebook group where we talk about all things leadership and culture, particularly around masculine and feminine energy. And that's called Captivating Leadership. So you're very welcome to join us there too. See you soon. Mm-hmm.